The book of James ends in a dramatic statement. In verse 19 and 20 of chapter 5, James says, my, my brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save their soul from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In other words, James reminds his readers the stakes are so high. So that's why, that's why he ends his letter previous to that statement talking about prayer. Real quick, here's a real simple way to remember how to pray. We taught in January ACTS. Here's another way to remember how to pray. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. P-R-A-Y. Praise God for some good things he's doing today. Repent. What is it I need to turn from? Something I did yesterday and confess. Ask what, it, what are my needs today and the desires of my heart for myself or other people. And then yield is where you surrender your day. Well, Jesus taught us we ought to do that and have high expectations when we pray. That's right. James does the same thing. James so believe in the power of prayer, kneeling in prayer, his nickname was Old Camel Knees. Anyone who has prayed has experienced frustration with prayer, though, with guarantees that don't seem to coalesce with reality. The erroneous theology of name it, claim it seems to imply that you can get what you want if you just have enough faith when you pray. So today we want to work through this final section in James and ask the question, how do we work out a faith that is strong in prayer and also grounded in reality? I can make an argument that this section in James is the most important of all of James. Why? Nothing we do is more important than connect with God through prayer. Faith is the power cord that plugs us into the power of God through prayer. And in this section, James closes out his letter by calling us to the faith that connects with God at every opportunity, good times, and in bad times. Look at James 5.13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. James says, life is always presenting opportunities to pray with God on a personal level. If you're struggling in that moment, bring your struggle to God. If something positive happens to you in that moment, thank God and praise him for his goodness to you. James says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the leaders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now that's an important statement. When requested... Southbrook will send leaders and pastors to a person in need and anoint them with oil and pray. In that instance, the oil is a symbol of God's presence, of his spirit. But this term is also used in the literature that day for a medicinal purpose and effect. And I think that's the intent here. It was used, for example, in Luke 1034, when the good Samaritan poured oil on the wounds of the man victimized by robbers. And so it's my personal belief that James is not writing about a ceremonial anointing as much as using the best medical procedure of the day and praying. Translated in today's terms, it would represent <clears throat> antibiotics, surgeries, therapies, healthy medications under the care of a professional. And so I believe he's urging the treatment of sickness by medical means 
along with prayer. Verse 15, he says, and the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. That's the confidence we ought to have. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, notice that word effective. That's a word that meant that which takes the average life and makes it an exceptional life. James says prayer is the difference in, in the faith journey. C.S. Lewis once wrote, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. I don't understand how electricity works, but I believe it does because I've seen its effects. And I don't understand how prayer works, but I believe it does because I've seen its effects. Bishop William Temple once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, coincidences don't happen. And James says we ought to pray. Verse 17, he says, Elijah, take Elijah. He was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. First Kings 17 through 19 is the story of Elijah. And Elijah didn't have a perfect faith. He doubted. He faltered. He expressed extreme doubts, but God graciously worked through him and answered his prayer. You see, faith is belief that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Faith isn't the absence of doubt. Perfect faith isn't a requirement for God's movement in prayer. And some people mistakenly believe that the reason their prayer didn't get answered is they just didn't have enough faith. I remember reading one time about a man who went prematurely bald, as if there is any other way to go bald. He was a big faith guy who believed he was favored by God. He believed that he was just certain enough of his answer. God was obligated to bring into reality what he was already certain of that he could grow his hair back. He was convinced that his continuing baldness was evidence of his previous lack of faith. And so believing that you could call things and command things into existence, if he just had enough faith, he would believe God for hair, and he would have hair. No Rogaine needed. Well, his hair never grew back. You see, transforming faith is not a perfect faith without any doubts. Transforming faith is when you have enough faith to believe that maybe, just maybe God might intervene in a way that is amazing because he can. Nothing is too difficult for him. I love the story in Mark 9 where Jesus' disciples meet a dad desperate for help. His son is tormented by a demon and suffers convulsions and self-destructive behavior. His disciples try to drive it out, but they can't do it. Jesus comes onto the scene and asks, what's going on? And the dad tells his story, and then he adds, I brought him hoping you could help, but you weren't here, so I asked your disciples to help me. I must have gotten some disciples from the JV because they weren't much help. And the disciples are probably kind of staring at their feet. This is not their one shining moment. And Jesus says, bring me your boy. And the father does. The demon is repulsed in Jesus' presence, and the boy starts convulsing and foaming at the mouth. And everybody's very quiet now. And Jesus asks, how long has he been like this? And the dad says, since he was very little, he's nearly died a number of times. And Mark 9, 22 says, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He's saying, Jesus, this is my boy. I pray to God for him every day. 
For years I've told God, God, I'll do anything. I'll give you anything. I'll promise you anything. Nothing has happened. I'm about out of hope. If you can do anything, just do it. And Jesus picks up on this word, if. Mark 9, 23, Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. Jesus is saying there's power in faith in interacting with spiritual reality. And at this point, if I'd have been the father, I would have been tempted to fake some certainty. Oops, did I say if? I meant since. Since you can do anything. The man knows the if in life. He has an iffy faith and he prays an iffy prayer. And when Jesus points this out, a response comes out of the man's mouth so fast, it's like an eruption of his dangling by a slender if faith. Luke, or Mark 9, 24 says, immediately the boy's father exclaims, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's amazing to me. I have faith and doubt. I, I hope and I fear. I pray and I'm wavering. I ask and I worry. I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, this is not exactly a ringing endorsement of Jesus. And you wonder, how's he going to respond? And Jesus says, I'm shocked and appalled you actually have doubts and your faith is imperfect. Too bad for you. I'm out of here. That's not what he said. He walks to the man's son and he heals the boy. You see, faith is belief that God can, but it is his prerogative whether he will or not. God is still in the miracle business. He still has supernatural power. He still touches bodies as well as souls. God is not just a medical errand boy, however. Do you remember the comedy Talladega Nights where race car driver Ricky Bobby prays tiny baby infant Jesus and your little tiny baby Jesus manger with your little baby Einstein development videos, use your little baby Jesus superpowers to help me win. And when Ricky Bobby's wife says he's supposed to pray to grown-up Jesus, he says, no, I like the Christmas Jesus. The baby Jesus makes me feel good. So you can pray to teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus, but I'll pray to baby Jesus, he says. And you see, if we're not careful, we can make God up as we go along and he becomes our divine ATM machine in the sky. And if we enter the right code, he always has to give us what we want. Say the magic phrase in Jesus name or, and this scripture gives hope for people who are in trouble. James says, for example, with physical affliction, but how should we pray for someone who's in trouble with physical affliction? especially how should we pray when we know people who've been prayed for and did not get physically well? How should we look at prayer itself? What is prayer? What is its purpose? In an era where name it, claim it has risen in popularity due to speakers like Joel Osteen, I want to I give you what I believe prayer is. People generally have one of these three beliefs in prayer. Number one, Prayer is dictation. We tell God what to do and he responds because we have faith. And people say, after all, he promises in the Bible that if we have faith as the grain of a mustard seed. We can say to this mountain to move into the ocean and it will. We command it. And there are those who contend that if we have enough faith, God will grant every desire. I love the passion behind that, to be honest. But it's kind of like the little boy who took a geography test and then he prayed, God, please let Boston be the capital of Vermont. You see, I believe God can do anything. God can make Boston the capital of Vermont if he so desires. The question is not whether he can, but does he work that way? 
Because the reality is we make it impossible for God to grant everything we ask for because we ask for contradictory things. The baseball pitcher crosses himself before he delivers the pitch, hoping to strike out the batter, who had crossed himself before he stepped into the batter's box, hoping to hit a home run. One time this happened in a game with the New York Yankees, and the old catcher, Yogi Berra, saw the pitcher cross himself and saw the batter cross himself, and he said, hey, fellas, let's leave God out of this one, okay? You see, it's not so simple as have the right formula and you'll get what you want. It doesn't hold up. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to have his thorn in the flesh removed. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. There's a work I'm going to do through you in that thorn in the flesh. In the garden, Jesus prayed to have his cup of suffering removed. That there would be another way. He asked that. He begged the Heavenly Father, and there was not another way. And that prayer was not answered. I don't believe in dictation. Some people believe prayer is submission. And this is the idea God already has everything mapped out in advance, and what's going to happen is going to happen. Prayer is only my submission to his predetermined plan. If someone is sick, they should pray, God, help me to be grateful, help me to be ready. But who am I to dictate how the God of the universe should run the universe? So in this view, prayer then becomes nothing more than getting in tune with God and nothing else. Now, certainly God is in charge of our universe and all-knowing, and he can see the future. And a large part of prayer is the why of P-R-A-Y, yield, surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. But the scriptures show that we're more than just puppets on a stage. I don't believe in prayer as just submission. I believe prayer is cooperation. Prayer is our teaming up with God's will and his power. God operates this world by certain physical laws, like the law of gravity. But there are also certain spiritual laws which cannot be broken. And one law is this. God releases his power. He moves when people pray. And when we fail to pray, we somehow on a human scale, limit the power of God active in our lives. So Jesus went around saying, engage, plug in through prayer. Luke 9, Luke 11, verse 9 and 10, I say to you, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now we can look at that and say, well, that's a blank check right there. That's saying whatever I ask for, I ask God, I'm going to get it, right? Well, if that were true, it would place an impossible strain on every person who prayed if they knew that they were certain to get everything they prayed for, everything they asked for, everything they sought, everything they knocked for. So we need to remember this principle from Scripture that Jesus did teach in Luke 11, as a father gives good gifts to his children, so your heavenly father gives good gifts to those who ask him. God gives gifts of satisfaction without self-destruction is the principle. And we need to remember what James said in James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. God, of course, doesn't give us everything we want because not everything we want is good for us right now or in the future. So when it comes to prayer, we need to remember there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer, Jesus is saying. He is assuring us that prayer changes things more than we can comprehend. 
One of my favorite movies ever was the 80s movie, Back to the Future. And if you remember, Back to the Future had some memorable characters, eccentric Dr. Emmett Brown. Great Scott, it's a rhythmic ceremonial ritual. Or blockhead Biff, what are you looking at? Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Or dorky George McFly, you're my density. I mean, I mean my destiny. Just memorable characters. But the hero, Marty McFly, starts out in 1985. And if you remember the movie, he's seen at the Twin Pines Mall. Through a time machine, he goes back to the 1950s, the DeLorean, and the shopping center is now just a field with two pine trees at the entrance. But in the 1950s, he loses control of his DeLorean and he drives over one of the pine trees, little seedling of a pine tree, and he destroys one of them. When he returns to 1985, the name of the mall is now the Lone Pine Mall. The future was changed by what he did in the past. Think about that and listen to this. C.S. Lewis brilliantly wrote, and this has affected my prayer life since the first time I read this. When praying, it will often cross our minds that the event may already be decided in one way or another. I believe this to be no good reason for ceasing our prayers, though the event certainly has been decided in a sense that it was decided before all time. But one of the things which caused it to happen may be this very prayer we are now offering. Prayer operates in God's realm outside of time and space. So let me summarize it this way, Southbrook. God answers prayer. That's what Jesus said over and over. Prayer is not dictating to God what he's supposed to do, but it's not submitting to his predetermined plan either. God intervenes in the affairs of people, especially when they pray. God answers. Heaven is shifted in its movement by our prayer. Now, let me add something else to that sentence. God answers prayer dramatically. There are hundreds of modern examples where God has dramatically, excitingly answered prayer. I wish I had time to tell you about stories in the Vietnam War. People have been lost at sea. People have been healed. Just amazing stories of how do you explain that? I've had a couple of dramatic answers to prayer in my life, but only a few where I go, I don't, I don't know how to explain the, the timing of that. For example, about 39 years ago, I became infatuated with this girl in my hometown I had seen her a few times at ball games. Very rarely, uh, our schools were rival schools. We'd never met, but I couldn't get her out of my, my mind. I was just infatuated with her. And prior to that, I'd only dated one other girl in, in high school because my, my love had been basketball. But one night, I had a dream. 1982, the spring of 1982, I had a dream. And this girl was the center of that dream. I couldn't believe it. And I was infatuated, and I had just given my life to Christ. So I prayed. I'm not kidding you. I, it was a Friday night. I said, God, give me a sign. You know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, Saturday? If this is the girl for me, show me. Let me see her. Now, I had not seen her in over a year because she was in school in Cincinnati. I was still living in Newark, Ohio, which is a town of about 70,000 people. It's, it's a small town, but, it's, but quite a few people. But that very afternoon, that Saturday afternoon, I was in Meyer department store and I go around an aisle and guess who I ran into? I ran into that girl. I looked at her and I said, you're my density. I mean, my destiny. No, I didn't say that. In reality, she begged me to go out with her and I've been married to her for 37 years. That girl was Sherry Young. And I still can't explain that. 
I still cannot explain the utter coincidence of that, but I'll remind you again what Bishop William Temple once said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, coincidences don't happen. God answers prayer dramatically. But let me add one more phrase that you know to be realistic. God answers prayer dramatically, but not all the time. Please hear me. When I relate a dramatic story of answered prayer of a girl I was infatuated with that became my wife, you, you probably think, well, that's great. But is there not also a twinge of skepticism inside you? Because you've known of friends who have prayed for the right person and that prayer didn't get answered. Or you've known of friends who had a daughter who had leukemia and they prayed. Hundreds of people were praying for that little girl and she died. You see, we need to have a positive but realistic view of prayer. God does not always answer prayer dramatically. And God's ways sometimes don't make sense to us. Isaiah the prophet said, God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. One time the church prayed for the apostle Peter who was imprisoned and he was dramatically released from prison. But a little bit later... The apostle James was arrested for his faith and he was beheaded. Don't you think the church prayed for James too? You see, it's the mystery of prayer. It's not dictation. It's not submission. It's cooperation. That's why Jesus said, told his disciples, Luke 18, 1, that they should always pray and never give up. Isn't that beautiful? That they should always pray and never stop doing it. So that's what we're going to do right now. Because nothing we do is more important than connect with God through prayer.